Thank you for listening to the Silver Club Podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Colin, we are back. Episode number 41, Silver Club Podcast, cruising right along. What is going on in your world these days? Great to be with you, Steve. Um, finally played some golf. I, in the last two weeks, had a, um, a nice opportunity to, to play six rounds after uh, first six rounds since COVID. So that, wow. was, that was a thrill. How'd you play? Not bad. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Uh, it is nice to go out into the course with low expectations or no expectations. That's actually uh, that's a for, that's a formula to to play all right. Uh, very grateful. Just uh, I want to emphasize grateful to have had the chance to play the sport in a responsible way. I think we're all very lucky for that. No question. I mean, we're we are lucky that this is uh, one of those sports. I just just heard today about the the you know the major league baseball and like the marlins team and half of their team is has uh, been diagnosed positive with the covid and and you know where, where you're looking at the pga tour and all the people that are under the pga tour umbrella and and largely they're they're doing very well so uh golf fortunately you're not in as close a quarters as you are in all the other sports and I, I just personally, I can't see how they're going to play football. I can't see, even though I want to see football, I want to see these sports, but everybody's on top of each other. I mean, it, it, tackling and, and being in somebody's face is just an integral part of that sport. And, you know, it's just not, it's not golf. So uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see how that all breaks down. The bubble for football can't be, you know, it's going to, it's just too big. It's, you know, and I, it's a shame what's happening with baseball. You're right there. I mean, are they going to just not play for two weeks? And um, so, yeah, I've, we're uh, in, I love reading about these record numbers and, and health at the clubs and, and membership sales and uh, just delighted to see people, you know, because I felt so grateful to be outside walking and playing after all this time, you know, I've spent plenty of time outside, but certainly we're all cooped up and, um, what a, what a joy it was. Every pro I've talked to, you're right. It's just like, they're as busy as they can be, whether it's teaching lessons and running events and just trying to keep up with all the single carts that are being given out at all the clubs. And, uh, yeah, everybody's, but he's not traveling. So they're just being able to, to hang at home and actually use their home club. What a, uh, what a concept, you know, I will say this with our, with our silver club golfing society, and we've been slow to get a start on 2020 with our events, but we, uh, we have a great second half of the year lined up and there's, there's a lot of people wanting to go and play events and do things. And, uh, you know, we've, we're picking up members even in this downtime. So that's a, that's a good positive that people want to be involved with, uh, with the game so much. It's as good a distraction as it gets. I agree. Well, we got a cool podcast coming up here momentarily with Florida sophomore to be Ricky Castillo. It looks like Castillo, but he's told me that it, it's pronounced Castillo, almost like there's a, an I between the L and the O. So uh, don't be alarmed out there. I am pronouncing it right. But uh, you got the Western Amateur starting today at Crooked Stick, and uh, they've the Western Golf Association is 
slid down to the Indianapolis area, and we've got uh, we've got some great golf lined up. And Ricky Castillo, uh, number two ranked amateur in the world, is going to be paired with John Pack from Florida State University. He's number five in the world rankings for the amateurs, and John Augustine as well. He's number twentieth in the world. Uh, so these players, uh, Pack and Augustine, were on the Walker Cup team last year, and I know Ricky was on the outside looking in, but I bet you he'll be uh, one of the top picks this upcoming year. But the Western Golf Association, give uh, give us a little historical perspective of the Golf Association, and they're combined with the Evans Scholars Foundation. And In the early days, there, Chicago was considered the West, goes to show you how long ago this was taking place. And there was this legitimate rivalry between the East and the West and golf. And for years, the U.S. Amateur was sort of almost bouncing back and forth between Chicago golf and Garden City. And, and um, you know, these these it was a big deal. There was a, re, a real geographic regional rivalry. And their enthusiasm was, you know, we we're very we think that the USJ and all the sort of founding clubs, four of the five of them are sort of in the East. So there's this kind of assumption of, you know, kind of it's, it's, it's a Newport Hamptons kind of origin when in fact, old Charlie McDonald was building nine and 18 holes in 1882 and three and four. And, and he promoted the game as well as anyone. So there's a tremendously uh, rich culture out there of golf, an incredibly deep city. Uh, they created the town, the, the, the sort of township of golf, Illinois, in which the Western <laughs> Golf Association is finally, you know, has its sort of headquarters. But uh, they were putting on as prestigious. The Western Amateur was just shortly after the U.S. Amateurs. One of the I think you'd have to argue. I, I, tell me which amateur isn't in the next position after the U.S. Amateur. I, 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 I you'd have a good argument. It's hard to argue against the Western and its tradition and history and how and then the, the venues they go to and it's past champions. And for years, it's what I loved is it's alternate format of the 72, 72, you know, death match, which you and I were talking about last summer right? in your, in your 20th anniversary of your win in this. <laughs> it was. Yeah. You, have, you do play 72 holes and then you, you break it down and there's four matches. So you could, yeah, you could play 144 or more holes of golf, depending on, how far your matches go. Hopefully you play less, but uh, uh, if you, if you win, but there's a lot of golf to be played for sure. And it's a long grueling event and it's only five days long. You play 18, 18, 36, 36, 36, assuming you go all the way to the finals. So uh, I'm sure they're going to, and I remember the year we played at point of woods in Michigan, the heat index was about 120. Uh, on the 36 hole stroke play day. And it was, man, I, I, I've never felt so dizzy in my life. But yeah, great event. A, a lot of prestige involved with this event. They, the Western Golf Association puts on six prestigious events Western Junior, uh, the Western Women's Junior, the Western Women's Amateur, the Evans Scholars Invitational on the Corn Ferry Tour, and the BMW Championship, which is uh, was won by Justin Thomas last year, and they played at Medina. And uh, that's a FedEx Cup playoff event. So they put on a lot of big time events. And is that Steve? That has to be the most ambitious section of golf in the U.S. I mean, I guess they're it's not they're bigger than a state, right? They're what is 
do you have it handy what, to what ex, what the sort of geographic spread of their their association is? Uh, no, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I do know that they extend all the way out. When we played at Inverness last year, there are Evans Scholars caddies at the Inverness Club. Um, Chick Evans was really the the one that kickstarted that all the way back in 1930. And there's 17 universities with Evans Scholars scholarship houses and Northwestern University and University of Illinois and Colorado and Indiana and University of Washington. There's a lot of universities that are involved with this Evans Scholars Foundation, and they've just done a lot of great things for the caddy programs at these at these great clubs all around the country. And when we played Inverness last year, we had we I mean it's not just male caddies. You think caddying is just on the on the male side? We had there was a bunch of female caddies out there, and they hustled more than than the guys did. So it, it, they just learn a lot, and they have the opportunity get these college scholarships that they so covet and so important to go to all these great schools and get these great educations. It's, it's really, it's like um, a shadow USGA in some ways. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's as close to like a regional USGA. Um, you know, the Met section is impressive, but it's, you know, it's, it's Fairfield County, Long Island, Northern New Jersey, you know, Westchester County, the city, um, but this is kind of different. It's there's uh, there's kind of an underrated, uh, you know, they play a, not underrated at all. It's they, they there's serious enthusiasm and guys, and there's been serious enthusiasm for golf ever since they had the World's Fair there in 1892. That's one of the things that McDonald credits with being asked to design that first seven hole course on uh, Senator Farwell's estate in in Lake in uh, in, in Lake Bluff, Illinois. Wow, nice nugget there. Our, the resident historian coming through. I love it. I love it. Now, this this Western Amateur, we've got to give a little quick shout out to Garrett Rank, who's one of our Silver Club members and the uh, the great amateur who won last year at Point of Woods, 31 years old when he won it last year, and really uh, out, out dueling all of the college kids and something... Uh, Something to behold there really in the amateur game now is that mid-amateur player. But but a player who I got to talk about real quick who just had some uh, great success at the Sunny Hannah Amateur. We had him on uh, with his father, Boyd, uh, and I'm talking about Preston Summerhays. He just won the Sunny Hannah Amateur at Sunny Hannah Country Club just outside of Pittsburgh. And uh, that golfing family right there is really, really something. Uh, Preston's sister, Grace, I believe won the Utah Women's Amateur recently, and uh, boy, just a, a fantastic golf professional and teaching professional in his own right. Teaches and coaches, and even caddied this uh, last week for Tony Finau, a longtime friend and and student. So uh, the Summer Hayes family is is looking really good. I, if I could put money on this event, I think uh, Preston Summer Hayes would be right at the top of my list. I, I love I love seeing kids. So he won. He won the U.S. Junior Amateur oh, last summer. Yeah, I failed to mention and, that. <laughs> no, no, and I'm pointing out that what, and then you win the Sunny Hannah. Then you're up the next rung on the sort of on the totem pole of of competition, and to see him hang, that's a big time, that's a big time win for a young, you know, just a sort of just kid immediately out of his junior golf, and so you, that's the kind of thing you see from that's where you start to get some comparisons with some greatness. Like that's the kind of move that Jordan Spieth was pulling and where you just kind of, 
like you kind of this kid he's not just talented but he knows how to win so that's a that's its own that's its own skill so i i do agree he's keep an eye on this kid he's that's the kind of that's exactly the type of foreshadowing you see before he you know maybe he might play to the top of the amateur game pretty quickly and he's going to play uh at arizona state university he's already committed to that from what i understand he actually broke a record at the sunny hand of being the youngest ever champion there beating ricky fowler's record and so um yes preston Summerhays, check him out he was on oh. he, he was on our podcast uh late last year in november so uh we had him and boyd on there and uh he's actually going to be in the in the u.s open at wingfoot uh, in September as well. So look, we're going to see a lot of Preston Summerhays coming up and he bombs the ball and he knows how to putt and he knows how to win. And it's uh, it's something to behold. Nice. And I want to mention, um, I got a chance to watch Ricky play last year at Piners number two. He was paired with James. I came down for the, the second day on the, on the number two course and uh, your boy, uh, JC was was following him and we we chatted and he was going to about to be a freshman and and he impressed James and I he impressed me you, you know you, you can just see a, a poise to him a strength to him fundamentals just just gorgeous um, and he was doing it on the number two course which was as difficult as is anything I'd ever seen set up in in competitive golf probably they were saying harder than even when uh, Pinehurst had hosted the U.S. Opens, wow. which is longer and drier, and and so anyway, or equal to it. And um, anyway, that was pretty exciting. I've been in, I've enjoyed tracking his progress. That's one of the, as you know, the you you happen to see some player paired with a friend when you attend these sometimes, and then it's it turns into somebody you wind up following, and it, and it, and it's fun it's fun to have done that with with Ricky. Well, Ricky Castillo is a great guy, a great player, and he has this this will to win that is hard to teach. He's just got that within him and we're going to hear from him right now on the Silver Club podcast and he's just a he's a tremendous guy and you're going to love this pod. All right, but before we get to this great podcast with Ricky Castillo, I just wanted to say a big thank you to the Silver Club Golfing Society, because without them, this podcast doesn't happen. Our first year last year was a wonderful year. We're building up this year to a great second half of the year after the COVID pandemic has slowed us down a little bit, but we have a tremendous schedule on the docket. We're going to places like Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, and Denver. We're playing at some of the most architecturally significant courses that you can play out there. Hop on our website and take a look at all of our great venues from Trinity Forest to Colorado Golf Club. The golf courses that we play are just tremendous. If you want to compete and hit shots that matter, then check out the Silver Club Golfing Society on the web at silverclubgs.com and on Instagram and Twitter at Silver Club Golf. And you'll also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our sponsors of the Silver Club Golfing Society, the Dunhill brand, the Winston Collection, Turtleson, Torch Eyewear, and the Leith Silver Company, which is our main sponsor for our Silver Club Championship November 16th to 18th at Pine Needles and Mid Pines, right in the heart of North Carolina. We can't wait until our whole season culminates 
right there. And we award our captain of the golf with his own golf ball attached to our silver club. Also, don't forget to subscribe and download all of our podcasts. We've had a lot of great ones, including NCAA coaches like J.C. Deacon from University of Florida or Kim Llewellyn, the women's head coach at Wake Forest University. We've had great characters in the game, too, like Jerry Foltz from Golf Channel and NBC and Eamon Lynch from Golf Week. So check out all these podcasts. We help tie you in to the fabric of this great game that we all love. All right, we got a great day here scheduled on the Silver Club podcast. Number two ranked amateur in the world, Ricky Castillo, University of Florida, soon to be sophomore. Welcome, Ricky. Hey, thanks for having me. How's it going? Uh, it's going great. It's going great. It was it was awesome to meet you when I came to Gainesville back in January. We had uh, had a great time talking to the whole team and getting out there. And we played. I think we played about an eight eight person game out there in the course at, at UF. That was pretty sweet. You got a lot of great stuff coming up. You're on your way to the Western Amateur. Let's just start there. Uh, yeah. So we have the West even on Saturday uh, playing at Crooked Stick. A- Obviously, a great golf course out there. So, you know, I haven't played a tournament since uh, my last college event, which is the Southern Highlands Collegiate. So I'm just excited to, you know, get out there and, you know, go play some tournament golf. Yeah, for sure. You've got you've got that. You've got the U.S. Amateur Band and Dunes. And it looks like, given your high ranking in the world amateur scene, you will get into the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. And we'll talk about how excited are you to possibly do that assuming you stay within the top seven which i think you should yeah i've been i've 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 obviously uh known about it and stuff like that so i mean i'm pretty excited you know having the opportunity i mean obviously all this stuff that's happened this year is is tough and stuff but you know to be able to have a chance to play in the u.s open at such a amazing golf course with an amazing field and you know that that's something that's uh really really special especially as an amateur We'll talk about that a little bit shortly, but how does a California kid, you grew up right near LA, how does a California kid wind his way up all the way at the University of Florida? I mean, you couldn't have picked a little closer place maybe to drive to? Yeah, well, I mean, what I, what my dad and I always talked about, you know, you know, I should go to a place where I feel like I can be the best and where the coach is going to, you know, help me the best and want me to succeed more than anybody and you know that's that's who jc is i mean you know jc he just wants the whole florida program to succeed at each and every one of us so i mean that was a big part of my decision you know i i knew that if there was a coach that i could play for it was jc so that was probably the the biggest decision that or the biggest thing that influenced my decision was you know jc being out there and i've known him for so long since he recruited my brother all the way back from when I was 11, he was recruiting my brother to go to UNLV when he was the assistant under Dwayne Knight and stuff. So, I mean, I think that was also a big thing, just having a more personal connection with him, you know, for such a long time. And, you know, even he told me when I was 11 years old, he said, you know, you're going to play for me one day. And, you know, it, it came true, which is uh, pretty awesome. So, I mean, that that was probably the biggest 
this is a biggest part that influenced my decision to go all the way to Florida. And I have, I, I have no, no regrets. I, I love it in Gainesville. It's an awesome place and, you know, a great place to become a better player and uh, person, you know. For sure. I know the, the season was cut a little bit short. Obviously, your freshman season there at the University of Florida. The football weekends there, though, talk about some of the football weekends and how that I mean, back back when I was there in the late 90s, I mean, that was those were the best weekends ever. And hopefully we have some college football this fall. But what was your first experience of a Florida Gator football game like? Uh, yeah, the, probably the best football game we went to was the Florida Auburn game. And that was, it's, it's a little bit different when you got a good, a good high ranked team playing against us. And there was just so many people. And when you're in the, when you're in the stands, it's just, you know, it's so loud. You can't hear anything. Everybody's just, you know, so pro Florida and everything. And, Honestly, football games are it, – it's hard to beat a, a football game. And, you know, we got we got the win in that game. And I remember when we were walking back to the dorm, uh, we looked in the streets and, like, I, there was not one open spot. It was just thousands and thousands of people just walking around the streets, just all cheering and all happy that we that we just won. And it was it, – it's, it's an experience that is something that is part of college and something that I'm never going to – forget for the rest of my life no doubt no doubt and the, and the university of florida campus though it's fairly intimate and you have the the golf course being right there and i know uh, uh in listening to some of your other podcasts you've been on you talked about that being a, a really important factor having the university of florida golf course and a great practice facility right there right yeah. at your beck and call where you can kind of zip over there between classes right yeah yeah i mean it's I mean, it's what maybe a quarter mile from campus or something like that. It's super close. You know, we have our massive practice facility at the back. It's got two massive putting greens, a great practice area, and you know everything you could ever ask for. And you know, it's just so close where it's you know you can go practice early in the morning before class or in between classes or something like that. So, you know, I that that was just a big factor just because it was close and I didn't have to drive, you know, 30 minutes to, you know, get some range work in where, you know, I, I if I had an hour and a half to spare or something like that, I could go to the course practice for an hour or so and then come back and then, you know, get my work done. So, I mean, that, I and I, I just like it being close, you know, where I don't have to, you know, go there and then ha drive 30 minutes and then come back for 30 minutes. And then it's just, it just takes a long time where it's, you know, I can be there and back from the dorm and take me five minutes, you know? So it was, it, it, that was, that was a big part just cause it's so close and, you know, it's nice to have a course where, you know, if you don't want to drive 35 minutes or something, you can still go to a course, you know, five minutes away or whatnot. So now, would you consider yourself a range rat or more of a player who's got to get out there and play? Or where where do you draw that balance? I I have to be out there and play. I I I don't. I mean, I practice and stuff, but I for me, I feel like I get better on the golf course when I'm in real situations and stuff like that. I mean, every once in a while, I'll go on the range, I'll go on the putting green, I'll practice for a couple hours or so, but. I, I try to play at least 18 holes every day, if not 27 or 36, just because I just love playing and stuff. And, you know, being able to 
be on the course and being like a real tournament situation and stuff. So, so do you get too much up into the track man and all the numbers that you have, or you're like, look, I'm good. I, I hit it far enough and uh, I don't need to get involved with all that too much or how deep do you go with that stuff? Uh, track man wise. I mean, I kind of just stick to wedges with track man, everything under 140 yards in it. I'm, I really want to work on it with TrackMan. I like working on it, but besides that, I'm not really someone that uses TrackMan or is on the range for, you know, three hours or so. I'll be on the range maybe for an hour at most just working. And then I'll just be like, okay, I'm ready. I'm just going to go out and play and just see how it is on the course, you know, just so that, you know, I mean, I feel like it's easier to hit on the range because if you hit a bad shot, you just take another ball, you hit it where, you know, on the course, you have consequences where if you had a bad shot, you know, you have to get up and down or, you know, you might be in a bad spot and you have to, you know, try to put in a better position or something like that, which for me just makes me better just being in on the course in real tournament situations. Yeah, using that, I mean, the that use of the track man is almost backwards of how probably most people would use it. They would use it more for trying to judge ball speeds and launch angles and all that. And you're using it for the the scoring game more. What is your ball speed and club speed and and where do you where do you think that ranks in the college game right now? Uh right now my ball speed's probably around 176, 177 and my club head speed's around 117, 118 probably. Um I'm not sure it's I think it's a little bit above average is my guess. I've definitely played with guys that, you know, are carrying at 330 and stuff, but you know, I'm not one of the shorter guys. I'm probably just, just above average. But, I mean, realistically, what I've learned is that, you know, when you get to the level that we're at, it doesn't really matter how far you Because I've seen guys that hit it 275, 280 who can definitely win tournaments and are definitely capable of beating guys that hit it, you know, 340, 350. So it's, uh, it's all – it's more about what I've realized is – just having everything kind of be solid together instead of just worrying about hitting it far or hitting it straight or anything like that. You kind of just have to have everything, have a little bit of everything. And what me and JC have talked a lot about is, you know, having this a, a great mental game is the most important. You know, I've there's plenty of players out there, even I was, where, you know, you, you're a great player, but, you know, you let one thing affect you and you get super upset or something like that. And, you know, we've talked about that a lot and just having a strong positive mindset where you not let anything affect you and, you know, just playing the best you can basically. Sure. sure. I, I actually did a little, uh little fact checking with coach before this podcast today. And he, he told me a few things. He talked about, uh, it, really alluding to what you just mentioned, the, the attitude and, and having that almost supersede the, the physical side of the game, which you already possess. He talked about one specific instance about your attitude turnaround in Chicago. So it was after the second round and JC just told, he, uh, I think it was after the round. Yeah, it was after the round. He was going to go to Starbucks and said, hey, just come take a drive with me. So I went with him and we we're just talking and, you know, he was just saying, Hey, like, you know, I think you can take you, if you want to take it to another level, you know, you should not just don't get angry on the course. Don't let anything affect you. Don't let a bad shot or a bad break, you know, affect 
how you're going to react or anything like that. Cause realistically what you, you can't control a bad shot or a bad break, you know, it, it's not like we're trying to hit a bad shot. You know, it just happens, you know, it's a physical error, not a mental error. So, so he just basically said, I want you to, you know, if you want to take it to the next level, I want you to make a promise to me to, you know, stay calm and positive on the golf course and act like nothing affects you. And I, I, and I said, yeah, I, I, I'll do that coach for sure. And, and he said, okay, we'll, we'll work on it together and stuff. And I shot 68 the next day at Olympia fields and then played an okay round or an okay tournament at Alworth, not, not bad or anything like that. And then when I went to the spring, me and, uh, we had, I had the same mindset, everything went uh, and then won the sea best and won the Gator and then came six at Southern Highlands. And realistically, the, the only thing that changed from the fall to the spring was my men, was my mental game, my attitude, which, I mean, a lot of people might may think that that's not true, but it, it really was. I mean, that's the difference between, you know, winning and coming in, uh, you know, 20 or 30. That's, so. uh, that's pretty amazing for sure. There's You look up and down the range at – these collegiate events, these amateur events and professional events, as you soon will, will be out there at some point, but there are all beautiful golf swings out there. And you would think Adam Scott should win every week. Right. And, and, but he doesn't. And, but it's a, it's a matter of, of getting the, getting the mindset dialed in. How hard is that though, for somebody like yourself, who's, uh, you know, I've, I've heard the, the words hyper competitive used, uh, for you what how hard is that because and maybe give our listeners a sense of maybe a trick of how you you just kind of brush off the bad shots because we're all trying to learn too yeah well i i uh when uh at the end of the fall me jc mark and dudley everybody had to sit down and you know talk about the fall and what they need to work on and we just talked about you know just the mental aspect of it and Dudley helped a lot because Dudley even said he's like I'm I was a hothead I'm still a hothead on the golf course and you know he said he's lost millions of dollars just you know getting mad and stuff like that and said you know if I if I had that I would have won he said probably five or ten more tournaments you know just because he gets so angry because of a bad shot and you know letting it affect the rest of the round or something so I mean uh I think it's just important. And for me, I, I just thought about, you know, what's important. You know, I have a family and everything. I have my coach, my team, and, you know, they're going to support me. And, you know, no matter what I do, they're, they're going to still care about me and everything. So that was probably the, how I, how I saw it, you know, even if I had a bad shot, they're not going to be mad at me or anything like that. So that, that was the way I thought about it. So you know, it kept me calm. And, you know, even if I had a bad shot or a bad putt or something, you know, I could still not let it affect me and just be like, okay, well, I hit a bad shot, but you know, I can go up and hit a good shot in the next one. So uh, that's, that's a great perspective on that for sure. And I don't, you know, you save yourself one shot around because you stay calm and that's going to add up to, to a lot of great finishes. Another thing coach Deacon talked about it was your uh, quote unquote incredible weight gain uh, from your time. Yeah. And, and you know, we think about it, we're watching Bryson DeChambeau go through this, this transformation into the incredible Hulk right now. And you, you uh, from, from all the pictures and from knowing you in person, you're, you're very tall and thin. How much are you following mm-hmm. what Bryson is doing? And, and 
what sort of things are you doing to, you know, keep yourself strong and limber, but but also create some more mass to hit the golf ball and strike it maybe even a little further if you need to? Yeah, well, I've just been, you know, working out pretty much what I do is just work out and then I just eat a ton of protein, you know, just, I mean, I've gained probably a, around 30 pounds since uh, August, to be end of August, wow. so... Uh, so, and then after, and even after the first tournament, I was at one before the first tournament, I think I was 130. And then after the first tournament, I went back to 125. So my, the, our, our nutritionist was saying, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be tough and stuff. And, you know, I just, you know, just working out and being with our trainers and stuff like that, they've helped a lot. And another thing I was doing in, uh, in the spring is I was drinking probably six or seven uh, protein shakes today. I was just drinking tons of them. Just, you know, I was, I mean, so, so skinny. I'm still skinny. I'm just less skinny than I was before. <laughs> so I, I was just trying to gain any muscle mass or whatever. And, you know, that's, that's how I all, but I, it's good. Cause I'm not, I wasn't gaining weight at an abnormal rate. It wasn't like I was, you know, getting unhealthy or anything like that. I was still getting healthy and I was just getting stronger. Most of my the weight that I've gained has just been all muscle. So, you know, that's, that's helped a lot. So, you know, I just didn't, cause I didn't want to be too big to a point where, you know, I'm not sure if my body will be able to handle like Bryson or something like that. That's, that seems a lot, but, you know, just gaining weight at a normal rate where, you know, you're just gaining a little bit every single day, you know? So that, that, that's what helped me the most. What's your take on what he's been able to accomplish in his distance gains and how he's, really in my mind just totally changed the game again how how have you been observing his his adjustment over the last month or two uh it's uh, what i saw it, it it's unreal i mean the amount of weight he gained in such a short time and you know i mean gained i mean i don't even know how much ball speed he gained but at probably at least 20 miles an hour which is just incredible but i mean the way he did i mean he's he's got an advantage now, you know, having it, hitting it so far and he's hitting it so straight right now too. It's not like he's hitting it all over the world. He's hitting it straight. So he has a massive advantage and that that's why I won. He was so good in the first five or six events, you know, he never really came outside the top 15 and then won one. So, I mean, and he's a smart guy, so he knows what he's doing and he's obviously doing a really good job of what he's doing. So, I mean, I'm not sure if that's for everybody. It's, I don't think it is for everybody to gain that much weight, but you know what he's doing for himself, he's, he's doing a phenomenal job. So we talked a little about your, your competitive drive. Where did that come from? Your older brother played for uh, coach Deacon when he was an assistant at UNLV, uh, your older brother, Derek, was he somebody that really drove you to play better or you wanted to beat your, your older brother, or I know your father was in, has been instrumental and still, will always be instrumental in your game. Who really got you going competitively? Uh, it's probably my brother, you know, just, you know, when you're a younger brother, you just want to beat your older brother so badly. And, you know, at a young age, it was, it was hard. I remember the, my, when we were, uh, and also my dad, uh, when we uh, would play on the weekends and stuff, when we were younger, he would say, uh, whoever wins, uh, whoever wins today gets a chocolate bar. He'd have a big stack of chocolate bars on top of his desk and just, have like 50 of them say whoever wins gets the chocolate bar and basically and then my brother would 
you know, obviously being three years older than me would always win. And then I remember one time I, I beat him once and then I don't, and then I beat him like the next, like probably 15 times. And, you know, I just <laughs> always just never wanted to give him a chance. I just always wanted to win, whether, you know, it was, you know, golfing or basketball or ping pong, anything that had to do with, you know, a competition. I just wanted to win. Well, wanting to win, you've got, uh, uh, let's get into some of these tournaments that you're going to be playing in upcoming. And we start with the Western Amateur. You had a great run there last year at Point of Woods. And you're going to be going to Crooked Stick shortly to try to beat your, uh, you had a great finish last year, got all the way to the semifinals. Uh, What is it about, and and you also played very well in the U.S. Amateur, both match play Obviously, they have both stroke play and match play components, but how do you navigate when there is an event like that, when you do have a the stroke play component, then you jump into match play? How does your mentality change? Uh, it's, it's, it is a little bit different because, you know, when you go to stroke play, I feel like, you know, I'm playing the course. I'm not playing because, you know, you're playing against the whole field. So I just say I'm playing the course. But, you know, when you go into match play, you know, it, it – what the other guy does can affect you because, you know, if a guy goes for a par five and you were playing on laying up and he hits it to two feet, you, you pretty much just got to go for it, you know. So it's it's a different mindset. You kind of have to change it because you, you're not playing. Because, you know, I've seen situations where, you know, some guys have shot in six over and one and then I've shot in six under and lost. So, you know, it just depends on who you're playing. So, you know, you have to change – not necessarily change the way you play, but sometimes change your decisions depending on what they do. So, I mean, it, it is match plays a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's different. I think it's a, it's a good format that, you know, we don't get to play as much, you know, especially in college when we're playing a lot of stroke play events and most tournaments on PJ tour are, are stroke play, pretty much all of them are. So when you get to play a match play competition, it's, it's a lot of fun because, you know, you get to play a little bit differently. You can play a little more aggressive when you have the chance. But, you know, it's it's a lot of fun playing match play events. Yeah, it's interesting, though, in the amateur scene, uh, the really the, the three biggest events culminate in match play. I mean, Western Am, USAM, NCAA finals. Uh, it, it is it is very, very interesting. And then when you get to the professional level, uh, like you mentioned, not not much match play at all. But. Uh, speaking about match play and a in representing your country, you had a great chance this last year. You were just on the outside looking in on a Walker Cup berth last fall. How much may you be looking forward to now that the top three players in the U.S. and the world amateur golf rankings automatically get onto the U.S. Walker Cup team? What sort of goal is that for you? Uh, I mean, that's a pretty big goal. I mean, uh, I wanted to obviously make it into 2019 as a goal of mine, you know, didn't make it. But, you know, that's I think that's part of the reason why I kind of struggled a little bit in the fall. I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I felt like I had to prove something to but I and then, you know, I talked about with my dad, JC, you know, just go out there and play and have the good mental aspect of it. So but I mean, being a part of Walker Cup team, that'd, that'd be awesome, you know. Well, always wanted to be a part of that team. So many great players, you know, played on Walker Cup teams from, you know, Ricky Fowler, Rory, you know, Justin Thomas, Spieth, all those guys, you know. So, you know, being in the same shoes as those guys would be really, really awesome, especially where all the where they are, where they all are now and, you know, how much they succeeded on the PGA Tour.
And you will be representing the U.S. on the Arnold Palmer Cup team come December, assuming that gets played. I know it's been postponed from its original uh, July date at La Hinch, and now it'll be played at the Bay Hill Club and Lodge, the late Arnold Palmer's home, not too far down the road from Gainesville. So that will be that'll be pretty nice to represent your country on the collegiate level, at least to get some get some early uh, prep maybe for that Walker Cup team. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually played uh, I played uh, Bay Hill with uh, one of my teammates, John Dubois, the, uh, right after all this stuff uh, happened and, you know, our season got canceled and stuff. And, you know, that's a really, really good golf course. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I'm hoping that, you know, it'll get better by then so, you know, we can uh, be able to play that event, so. And then you move on from the Western Amory. You come back. You've, you've, you've got a very busy next uh, five, six weeks or so. But you'll come back and get out to the West Coast and play in the U.S. Amateur at Bandon Dunes. Have you been to Bandon before? And what are your thoughts about making another run to, to try to best your Sweet 16 run last year in the event? Yeah, I haven't played Bandon Dunes. I've heard a lot of great things about it. I've heard it's a really just, you know, different course it's more of a link style and you know it takes a lot of thought and you know I think I, I think that helps me you know being successful at Piners where you know you have to think a lot on the golf course so it's not a golf course as that you can you know just kind of bash driver and just aim at every flag you gotta have to know where to hit it and sometimes you know when you got a wedge in your hand sometimes you just gotta be like hey I just gotta hit to 25 feet and just two putt and walk away so uh, I I I'm really excited, you know, just being able to play in the USAM and stuff and being able to play in tournament golf and, you know, give myself a chance to, you know, put myself in a good position to win. So I'm I'm really excited. Well, that's uh, how much do you think? Have you played any small competitions back at home? I know you're in California right now, kind of gearing up for all this, but have you been able to play any sort of competitions, even if it's for a dollar amongst friends or what? what sort of rust do you think you'll have to knock off between right this moment and, and all these big events? Um, uh, probably, uh, I mean, I've played a little bit just with a couple of my friends, but not in tournament situations, obviously, and not at, you know, a golf course like cricket stick where, you know, out, out here in California, there's a lot of the courses, not a lot of land. So a lot of courses are really short, so it's a lot more scorable, but I mean, I, I'm just excited to go out there, and, you know, play a, a tournament, you know, or, I mean, especially with everything that's happening now, you know, a lot of seniors came back. So, I mean, right now I'm saying I, my dad and was telling me, you know, this is the probably the best two tournaments in amateur golf uh, ever right now. Cause you know, there's so many good guys that, you know, we're going to turn pro, but didn't get the chance to, and are coming back. So there's a lot of good players, a lot of, you know, a couple of good tournaments. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to, you know, go out there and play my best. So. Well, before I let you go, I just have to tout some of your your great achievements this year as a freshman. Uh, NCAA Division I Phil Mickelson Outstanding Freshman Award, SEC Freshman of the Year, All-SEC First Team, All-SEC uh, All-Freshman Team, Division I All-American. How did all of these great achievements you've accomplished in such a short time being that you didn't even have a full freshman season, how did they match up to the goals that you set coming into the year? 
Yeah, I mean, one of, I mean, my goals were, you know, to, you know, win a couple tournaments and, you know, get the Phil Mickelson Award and SEC Freshman and stuff. So, I mean, I, I achieved a few of those goals. I, I, I wish we could have played the whole season and stuff, you know, to, you know, maybe I could have played better in a couple more tournaments. But, you know, gotten a chance to maybe have a better chance of winning the Ben Hogan or Haskins. But, you know, I – See, he deserved it. I mean, he was playing unbelievable golf and, you know, he was turning pro. So, but uh, I mean, I was, I was really happy with how my freshman year went. I mean, obviously it sucks that, you know, had to end early and stuff, but it was a lot of fun, you know, and I was really enjoying just being at Florida. I mean, Florida is such an amazing place. I mean, you know, it's such an amazing place. There's really nothing like it. So, I mean, it was, I was just excited, you know, to be there. I've been, committed since I was a freshman in high school. So, you know, I was just so excited to, you know, go out there and be able to play, play for the Gators. So, you know, it was, that, that was probably just the, the, the best part, you know, just being able to play for the Gators and stuff. What's the current plan about getting back on campus sometime this year? And what is the current status of school in the fall and NCAA golf? And because I know you've got to get back there and and have some serious ping pong battles. I hear you're really, you're really good at that. So, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm, I think we started school on the 31st, but right now all my classes got moved online. I'm not sure if every class got moved online, but I'm, I assume most of them do did. And I talked to JC yesterday, so we're not sure about the fall season. We might have to wait until spring, but you know, we're just hoping for the best. Hopefully, you know, even if we don't have a season, we can still go out there, you know, play, you know, still play golf and, you know, still have fun. And, you know, hopefully we'll be able to get to play some tournament golf pretty soon. Well, for sure. Well, we look forward to watching you. And, you know, we're going to have to catch back up with you maybe after these these couple events and uh, the before the potential run at Winged Foot for the U.S. Open, if you don't mind, and uh, just check back in with you and, and see how things are going. But uh, Ricky Castillo, thanks so much for spending time with us on the Silver Club podcast. And, Always love chatting with a fellow Gator. Yeah, thanks for having me so much. All right, we'll we'll be watching you on top of the leaderboard real soon.